Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Greetings, comrades. Today, we're going to be covering something uh, practical, entertaining, and historical at the same time. I'm really, really excited about this episode. I probably should be focusing on Steinmeier's problem thing with Ukraine and Zelensky, but I decided to wait at least a week for that and give it to you with my coverage on what's going to happen in Harvard. But for now, I kind of want more sober minds there to prevail. But in the meantime... The things that benefit me in Ludzum is that I have acquired a book, interesting kind of little brochure called Wartime Kitchen here in Ludzum. It was printed in 1942 by Mr. O. Kroll's publishing house, Freiherr von der Goldring 2. Yeah, that's a uh, cookbook about wartime recipes from World War II printed during the Nazi occupation in Latvia. And the subtitle reads, Let us produce with great economy, tasty and filling home foods according to the recipes of Dr. Medical Hindenhey, Louise Hull, and others. Yeah, so, you know, I am now in Ludza, as I've told you before in previous episodes, and when I saw this book, I just had to get it. Now, um, <laughs> it was just amazing. It's a book about practical wartime recipes which are something that's a piece of everyday life and everyday history, and it just shows something about how people really lived through World War II. In accordance to, you know, my regular episodes, I want to do something special, and now and then, I just want to do something that, hey, you might try on your own. And one thing that really sets this book apart is that in modern days, it tends to be some comedy gold in a few occasions. However, you have to understand that those advice were like, taken very seriously, and that this is an attempt to basically survive when it comes to the wartime where things are getting bombed and when my country was under foreign occupation. And this is a, this was printed by that said occupation, Nazis in this case. Well, you see, uh, we made an episode previously with the magazine Soviet Woman, where we also included some of the Soviet recipes from early 60s, late 50s, which were quite disturbing. But this is, this is even more so. 
And interestingly enough is that the book even starts with how to be prudent and economical during wartime in the kitchen. And it starts with what you should use as fuel for your stove, because back then, you know, we didn't have gas or oil, and most households used a wooden stoves for their fuel to cook food on them. This is what the book starts with, and that alone will give you some, some sort of idea about what this episode is going to be like, because even though it's kind of funny right now, and it's interesting, and it's bizarre, it's still wartime. And I know that this is the book that, well, my grandparents would probably have purchased and looked at and try to figure something out on what to eat with the limited resources that they had. And yeah, it begins with, um, with a paragraph stating that the fuel for cooking food during wartime is expensive, and that is why you need to be economical with it. For example, using firewood, you have to understand that if there's a lot of fire and what you're boiling on the stove has already, you know, started boiling, you don't already need to stuff your oven full with firewood, but only just add a couple of pieces of log or something under there to keep it boiling. When the boiling temperature has been reached, that's 100 degrees Celsius, then, you know, the food won't get any hotter, and the process of boiling won't happen faster, whether or not we stuff all of our oven full with firewood, and let the pulse to boil completely high and hot, or, you know, if we just add a couple of logs, and then, you know, we just wait for a bit longer until our meal is ready. And uh, also they gave such nice advice as, so that you wouldn't waste fuel, you have to look towards your oven, and you have to understand that all of that needs to be constantly cleaned, because all of the soot there prohibit the warmth from getting out of it. Therefore, you know, your food will get boiled up slower. So you have to understand also to put your pot on your oven with a proper diameter because our local ovens here, you know, the firewood-based ones were consisting of like a brick, kind of this furnace thing with the metal rings on top of it, which you would remove to put a pot on them or a pan on them on the correct size so that it would just get heated up by the firewood from below, but they also recommend that you use always the correct size of the ring to be removed. I'll try to find an image for this. But yeah, this is, this is how it begins, and they also recommend, for example, how to build on your own something called um, the boiling or the economy box, which is basically a description on how to basically use a wooden box, which is stuffed then with various substances that, you know, don't burn, so that you could, like... Basically, how to make a big thermos, uh, kind of a thermal insulation chamber for your pot, that when it starts boiling, you put it in there, and then it would continue to simmer for, you know, at least 5 to 10 uh, minutes, so that you would save up on firewood and save up more materials when making your food. And this kind of gives us the very basics of this nice book. This gives us also some instructions on how much would you need to boil something on open flame or in this boiling box, which is, well, basically a pressure cooker. It's kind of a pressure cooker, except, you know, kind of a thermos pressure cooker thing. And that alone shows that, you know, everything was rationed back then and everything was very controlled. Because during wartime, any wartime, obviously, people's food and what they actually make suffers the most. So, in this episode, I'm going to give you a bunch of recipes from this cookbook. 
And hey, maybe if you try some, some of those out. I'm gonna do that myself. I'm not sure if I'll make it before I go to Harvard and do my tale about how I went to Ukraine there and everything. But I'm probably gonna make something from this book and post it on YouTube later on, and then it's gonna happen to be on Facebook and Twitter as well. But let's go on to the recipes themselves, because they truly, in my opinion, are uh, quite revealing about the wartime food and what would people eat during World War II. Kind of the practical, minor side of life that could probably get ignored, but it's always interesting to get into the skin of other people who've lived through such times. So let's get on, shall we? So the first section of the book is called Cheap and Filling Soups. And it goes, quote, <clears throat> Cheap and filling soups with very mediocre meat additions or completely without them is the practical and most economical wartime food. All sorts of fresh or dried vegetables, especially potatoes or dumplings or rather a various amount of uh, meat replacement products. Such soups together with bread is an adequate meal in the cases where you have to well, using your common sense, when you have to leave um, the second or third meal away from your everyday life. In normal occasions, it is common to eat soups only during dinner, but in wartime, when you have to be extremely economical and prudent with sugar and milk, you have to take extra care to the breakfast or lunch soups or stews, which can replace coffee, tea, or milk. Which is just a bit bizarre if you think about it, that, you know, how your soup can basically replace your coffee. And then they kind of describe various types of these soups. They speak about a lot of them, but I'm not going to give full attention to all of this book, obviously. But some of them that truly reveal that, well, war is hell to civilians and military people alike. Meat soups. Whether or not it would be a kind of a beef or pork or any other meat from which you make soup... In wartime, the amount of meat is too small so that you'd make your stew or soup enough filling and tasteful. And there, you have to, you know, replace a lot of meat with some dried spices and herbs. Especially, what you can do is replace it with mushroom extract or dried mushrooms. That is how they recommend dealing with it. They also mention milk soups or vegetable soups, but one thing that really interested me as leaf soups. Leaf soups, so-called things from weeds, or weed soups, which happen from, you know, when you take um, cabbage leaves, or beet leaves, or lavender, or various other just weeds that grow outside that aren't just pure grass. Yeah, this book and these soups were also kind of made, especially from lavender and other weeds and gulags of Stalin's era as well, but this happened during wartime, so... Yeah, they state that various sorts of these weed soups, when you don't have anything else, are very tasty if you boil them with a small addition of meat, or if you can afford yourself to add at least a spoonful of sour cream. But if you don't have any meat or sour cream, then, you know, it's very good if you can have some um, brewed milk, I suppose. It's basically a milk that has been, you know, left out in the sun to kind of make itself porridgey, I suppose, with chunks in it. It's a popular kind of dairy product here, especially in the summer, and if you mix it up, then this milk that has been fermentized is very tasty, and that's at least better than sour cream. Or you can add, uh, well, we call it pandanus, 
but it's the substance that, you know, it's left over when you make butter from sour cream. Basically, if you churn milk enough to make butter, then the liquid that's left over, yeah, we still drink it here. It's a popular health drink, and a lot of people drink that. And if you could add that to your weed soup, then, well, at least you could get a bit more nutrition. And the book says that when the soup has boiled and you have to remove the pot from the fire, then you take up this uh, fermented milk that you have churned previously, and then you mix it together with the soup, and then it'll seem almost as tasty as with sour cream or some meat. And then they add, if you don't have even that, then, well, you can make soup tasty by just adding a bit of flour to it to make it a bit thicker in that way. And that alone shows you something, that when you come to the cookbook, which recommends that you basically pick up whatever weeds you have from uh, the field, which, you know, we have a lot of them because we're a pretty green country with a lot of meadows, and when you add that to the soup to make it more filling, that sends something about the quality of life there now, isn't it? And then they give a special section about the flour itself. Basically about roasted flour. And they're saying that whatever kind of flour do you have, wheat, rye, or barley, whatever, especially, you know, very harshly ground up rye flour, they're very useful for uh, soups and various sauces, but you have to kind of roast them first until they're yellow or brown. Such roasted flour are made thusly. Basically, take a bit of butter and you melt it on a pan, or, in case if you don't have any butter, use some pork fat, and then you add some flour and uh, swish it up on a slow flame while the flour becomes golden. If you don't have any uh, flour or butter, then, you know, just roast them on a pan as they are, basically dry. It's better to do that anyways, to add them to soups or sauces, much better than if you would just add them as they are. Even if your flour, from being, you know, old by standing in your cupboard, are not as good, then by roasting them, they again retain their good taste, and they become much more tastier. And, you know, if you don't have anything else, then at least you can put these flour in some water, boil it, and, you know, at least you can eat that a bit. And I know I'm saying, you know, a lot of these times, but um, I haven't had the time to fully translate this book, so, well, this is kind of translated on the go, so to speak. I've made some notes here, but making an episode with a book that I bought just two days ago while fully translating this would kind of not be plausible, so forgive me for my errors, and I hope that uh, Anita will cut most of them out. So, I'm going to give you two recipes of soups, then, so that you can have them for your dinner if you want to. <clears throat> Take three liters of water, that's about three quarts, because a gallon is 3.93 liters, so it's up three quarters of a gallon. Add to them uh, chopped up spring onions and 20 peeled minced potatoes. As soon as the water starts boiling with uh, vegetables in them, add 60 grams of flour, boil it for 30 minutes, then keep it for 2 hours in the boiling box on a very slow fire until it's ready. Before giving it to the people, you add salt according to taste and 100 grams, which is uh, one quarter of a pound, bacon or salted meat chopped up in very tiny pieces. And the second one is kind of a bit more expensive one in the wartime, and it's called the Kaiser's soup. A teaspoon of flour, roast in 30 grams of fat until they are lightly brown. Take a bit of celery, half an onion, a bit of spring onions, a slight amount of carrots, a bit of a radish, and a half a root of parsley. Mince it all together, 
and together with these roasted flour in the fat, stew them together. Then add 2 liters of water, about half a gallon, about 15 peeled cut up potatoes, salt according to taste, and boil approximately an hour. Then put it all this through a sieve and add some pickled peas and heat it up all again. So those are two nice soup recipes from this book. But let's move on to something that is a bit more substantial. And obviously the first thing we have to speak is um, potato meals. Yeah, I know, it's always funny when Laffians speak about potato meals, but what can you do? Because this book reserves a special section about these. And it says, Now, when potatoes are one of the most used meal parts, each lady of the house and maker of the meals needs to know how to make good quality various meals from this cheap, useful, and widely accessible product. And, you know, you have to understand how to make these meals varied enough with a dependency on, well, if you have any meat or some fish or even some egg so that they won't become repetitive. And again, two recipes from this section of the book. Number one, the citizen's potatoes. Yeah, I know how it sounds, but it's how they call it. Mm. Unpeeled potatoes boil until they're half soft. On another pot, boil a half soft, half of a celery root. Then peel potatoes and cut them up in quite large, four-sized pieces, cube-like. You do the same with celery. If you have any pork fat, like salo, you boil it through pure fat, and then you stew in this pork fat some chopped up onion and two tablespoons of flour. Then add some water in which you boiled celery, add some salt, sugar, and pepper according to taste, and make a thick uh, filling sauce. Now, put the potatoes and celery in this sauce and stew it on very slow fire until everything is ready. When you serve these potatoes, put them in the center of a bowl, putting around some um, pork blood sausage or some other sausage, if you have any, and then cover it with chopped up parsley. And then the second meal, which is, again, a bit more kind of fancier, is called the East Prussian potatoes. Yeah, because, you know, obviously, when Nazis make a recipe book, they have to add in references to Kaiser and Prussia and all that nasty stuff. So, East Prussian potatoes. Unpeeled potatoes boil and serve hot. During the time when the potatoes are being boiled, make the following sauce. Mince up white cheese or cottage cheese, add some pepper, and add so much hot milk that you can make a thick sauce from it. Use 100 grams, quarter of pound, of salo to make pork fat from it. Add two uh, very thinly chopped onions and uh, cook it in this pork fat, and boil it over the warm cheese sauce. Add it very hot. The guys who will eat this will have to peel the potatoes themselves and will add it on the plate together with the cheese sauce. This fooling meal will taste very well as at lunch, as in dinner. This is not added by myself, it's just that apparently this is East Prussian style of potatoes. I think I'm going to try to make this one, it sounds like something actually edible. But yeah, they carry on from this, they have a bunch of them, they have like 22 different things, and wow. One thing though... I have to add a third recipe here from potatoes, which is something that kind of struck me as a bit of an odd recipe here. Mm. Potato-tomato mousse. 
In the previous day, boil one kilo of potatoes, which is two and a half pounds. On the day that you're making this dish, peel the potatoes and mince them together, together with a one large onion and 100 grams, quarter of a pound, of soaked squeezed white wheat bread. Then add 10 peeled cut up tomatoes. Three soft parts of tomatoes, the soft parts of the inside of it, some uh, yolk of the egg, one tablespoon boiled cheese, salt, pepper according to taste, and then you add uh, mixed up egg whites. Everything is uh, filled in a kind of a form which has been, you know, where butter has been added to it. Cover it with dried crushed bread and bake it until... The top part is golden brown and add it together with some weed salad. This is just slightly bizarre, but it actually might might be a bit tasty, you know. Maybe. Next section is um, root and vegetable dishes, because potatoes have their own separate section. And this will uh, probably stun the most of the vegetarians around these parts, because, well, a lot of these things are um, a bit strange, but the description itself is worth something. <clears throat> The real meaning and sense of various vegetables and roots in our foodstuffs recently was under-treated and they thought that there was too few of various foodstuffs in them. But now we know that the main value of various roots is in the minerals, which are lacking in various foodstuffs, meat, fat, sugar, and uh, flour dishes. That is why you need to eat vegetables, which together with the previously mentioned products, a bit of meat or fat, can be used to create tasty and filling meals, not only in wartime, but you shouldn't forget these in normal conditions, in better times, so that the organism wouldn't become obese, and so that your body could produce food better, and that you'd have a truly filling meals. Now, one thing is that from this part, there's a bunch of various interesting things, but one thing that I want to mention here specifically is um, kale pudding. 750 grams of kales peel and boil until they're half-cooked. That's about, I don't know, almost three pounds, I guess, slightly under three pounds. Do the same with 500 grams of potato. Oh, that's uh, one and a quarter pounds. At the same time, from 200 grams, half a pound, minced meat, two boiled and minced potatoes, and various spices, salt, onions, parsley, and according to your taste, make a, <clears throat> a meaningful filling. This literally says meaningful filling. Then you take the kale and potato, chop them up, mix them with the filling, and put it in a previously prepared pudding form and boil it in a water bath for about an hour and a half. When you serve this, carefully beat it out of this form thing and add some mushroom sauce to it. Yeah, this is kind of, you know, these... These actually look interesting, but there are other things like um, kale pudding in the Irish taste, filled kale mountain, goulash from pumpkins, or um, dried vegetable meatballs, which have no meat in them, but, you know, various things. It's just that this section is kind of more sane because they really look at the roots. Next section is called um, meat dishes. Mm. For the average cooking necessities during wartime, in this section we have looked at and collected only such meat recipes which cost relatively cheap and consist mostly of various uh, byproducts or basically organs of animals, the use of which is not sufficient in uh, normal times. 
you can make from these various sub-products very useful and uh, good quality food for uh, people who like to eat meat dishes. This is a direct quote, by the way. I'm, I'm not making this up for people who actually like to eat meat, which is, well, quite a lot of my listeners, I presume. Me as well. But. Now, this is probably the part which is uh, most bizarre of this. So, you ready for this kind of craziness? Oh, boy. Hey, guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on Patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Let's start with um, cooked brains. So, wash off the blood from your brains, carefully remove uh, the membrane, cover it with water, add a bit of salt, vinegar, and boil it. After you've boiled it, instantly dry it off and mix it with batter in a mix between egg and breadcrumbs, and bake it in pork fat until they're lightly brown. You serve it with brown, boiled potatoes, and weed salad. Here's another one that sounds uh, pretty tasty. Hmm. Cattle lung and heart stew. Washed, cleaned lungs and heart is powered over with two liters of water, which is about half a gallon. Add some spices, various kitchen herbs, and boil until everything is uh, soft. In a tablespoon of fat, you should stew two minced onions, add a tablespoon of flour, roast it, add nicely chopped lungs, heart, and so much lung, heart, stew, that you have a kind of thick sauce with a nice texture there, smooth texture, that you can add according to taste, salt, vinegar, pepper, and again, two tablespoons of various kitchen herbs. So that it would look nice... 
This is the direct quote. So that it would look nice, you add half a teaspoon of browned caramelized sugar, then you mix it all up and heat it. When serving, put the lungs in the center of the bowl and surround it with boiled potatoes or mashed potatoes and serve it together with pickled beet salad. Use the rest of the lung soup to make a noodle or flour soup. Well, this is just uh, great. I mean, really something that um, when I'm going to try this, I'm, I'm going to make some, some vegetarian stuff. Kidney in sour sauce. 600 grams, one and a half pounds, of pork or cattle kidneys is being cleaned, covered with water. Then you add salt, some kitchen herbs, and boil everything to be soft. In 50 grams, that's one eighth of a pound, 50 grams of fat, you stew a minced onion... Roast it together with half a tablespoon of wheat flour and half a tablespoon of potato flour. And then you add as much of the kidney sauce that you can get a proper thick sauce. Then you add some spices, a little bit of bay leaf and some cardamom, which basically you should remove before serving. Then you add a tablespoon of sugar, ground up black pepper and enough vinegar so that you can taste a Direct quote here, pleasant sour taste. On top of this sauce, you add um, cut up in little circles kidneys, which you mix up and heat, but don't boil. You serve this dish hot and uh, serve it with boiled potatoes or mashed potatoes. Obviously, you use the remaining kidneys to make a soup. And now I'm going to skip over uh, two parts of this book. I'm just going to read the introductory parts of this because next section are various fish dishes. And, you know, the recipes, I've been dealing with quite a lot of them, but here we go from the description because each of these little small subsections have various descriptions on them. Even during peacetime, fish in our country was the most spread out meat replacement product. In this case... We must take even more care right now, during wartime, trying as much as possible and meaningfully use the cheapest and the easiest found fish in markets, such as cod and salmon and other fish that are easily available and very cheap. Yeah, but during the day, salmon was like super cheap, so that's a bit ironic, but they're not that, except, you know, they have, they have recipes as um, dried fish pudding, salted fish with mashed potatoes, fish meatballs... Fish with potatoes and pickles and all that stuff. But again, we're getting a bit over our allocated time here. And then they have a section with dumplings, which they replace with meat. But I wanted to move on to something that people could actually make these days with ingredients available, which is, um, as they call probably mostly pasta foods, but they call it the flour dishes. A place of honor during wartime kitchen needs to be shown to the flour-based dishes. In this group, you don't count the peacetime desserts, but every other dish that you can make with salt, which the main ingredient is flour or its products, noodles, macaroni, or various other flour products. Sometimes, occasionally even, together with some meat or fish or various roots and vegetables. And from here, yeah, it's basically various pasta dishes with something, but um, there is one thing which is called... um, Pasta with horseradish. In a light salt water, boil some noodles, dry them, and then cover them with sauce, which is made in the following way. Take one glass of the water in which you boiled the noodles, mix it with a glass of light milk, 
and slightly thicken it up with flour that have been boiled in milk. Add a bit of pepper and enough horseradish that you can feel their taste very strongly in the sauce. The noodles, which have been covered with the sauce, are heated up and you add a knife's end of fresh butter. These horseradish noodles will taste well enough if you have some boiled meat to add to them. Which is a bit of an interesting thing happening here. But yeah, this is one of the more weirdest foods here. I don't know, I really am looking through this episode and just trying to pick up something that is weird here because they are adding a lot of stuff which is kind of mostly normal, you know, everyday foods, but some of this stuff is just truly revealing. It shows you that and you had to make do with what you had here and I can't really imagine eating half of this stuff, but at some point you have to make it make it work. And then they get to the next section, which I want to have a separate attention to because dairy products are very common here in Latvia and we use a lot of various dairy foodstuffs. And this is where the padinus, the, the liquid part that remains over after you churn some butter, is there, and cottage cheese and that fermented milk. And the book says the following about these dairy products. These padinus are one of the cheapest sources of nutrition. Two and a quarter liters of these padinus, which, like I said, is the liquid that when you make sour cream into butter, then that's the liquid that's remaining and people drink it as a health food right now. Sometimes, you know, my grandpa used to mix it with tomato juice. But still, if you mix it, then you can use them as much as possible in various foods and they'll be extremely filling. And uh, one thing is that they uh, offer this cold paninus soup. 100 grams, quarter pound of um, mm, leftover rye bread, basically dry it up. It's basically a chef's biscuit from rye bread. You uh, mince it up, slightly roast, add 40 grams of sugar and then roast them for a bit again and then you cool them. Six glasses, in this case, it's like a glass is 200 milliliters, which is about a half pound, because I know that your glass or cup in the United States, or most of the English-speaking world, uses 250 milliliters as a cup, we use 200 milliliters. So, you know, you add six glasses of these pandanias, and you mix it together with a glass of milk, if needed, slightly make it more thick, with the cold, stewed-up um, kidney sauce, yeah, from previous, add salt and sugar according to taste, and when you serve it, add your pre-made rye bread to that. Which kind of... kind of makes it a bit crazy, because I seriously don't even know <laughs> how you are supposed to make it right now. And then they have a nice little section, which they don't have an intro for it, it's called Sandwich Spreads. Out of whom I want to read some recipes for this, because this might be actually interesting. Mm. Potato butter. Four boiled minced potatoes are well mixed with crushed breadcrumbs. Two, three tablespoons of milk, minced onions, salt, pepper, and a bit of butter or pig fat. And um, minced beets. Boil some beets, peel them, mince them, and add a bit of crushed horseradish. One quarter from the weight of the beets. A bit of vinegar and sugar. Put all of this in a pretty dish and put in a cold place so that it would stand there for a couple of hours. Then use it on your sandwiches as necessary. And now we get to the two final sections, which I want to kind of spread out separately. First thing is wartime desserts. <clears throat> there are, uh, and I'm quoting from the book here, there are various opinions about the fact of whether or not during wartime you need to make any cakes, cookies or other snacks. Actually, it's very hard to respond with a certain yes or no, because there are occasions, 
such as funerals for people following the war, where each person needs to operate according to their wealth and um, various possibilities that they can manage. Yeah, this is totally not grim, absolutely. But if you are baking something, then in every occasion during wartime, you have to be very economical and try to figure out how to make some snacks without anything which is hard to acquire. Of course, that is a difficult task. Therefore, we can't really present to you some truly tasty home cakes. That is why we shall try to present here some dishes with whatever is realistic to be acquired during wartime. Well then, some of the recipes from here. I think I'm gonna do two. First off is um, noodle cake. Take 350 to 400 grams of noodle which is slightly less than a pound, about a pound, one glass of uh, defattened milk, 125 grams of sugar, which should be half a cap by uh, American and Canadian standards, 350 to 400 grams of flour, again, approximately a pound, spices, baking powder, and marmalade according to necessity. In the evening, before making this cake, cover the noodles with the milk. In the next morning, add the rest of the product to them, and mix it up and smash it for approximately 10 minutes. Then put the dough in a fattened up form and cook it in medium heat for about an hour. When this whole thing has cooled, cut it horizontally in two similar parts. Spread the both parts with fruit marmalade and put them back together. Cover this with lemon or other fruit juice. Yeah, well, obviously you have to make do with what you have. And then the second one, which is also somewhat somewhat revealing about how people had to pull through during wartime, especially in our end of the planet. Mm. Potato cookies. Boil potatoes, mince them, and of course peel them. Add one egg, a bit of baking powder, some flour, salt, and sugar according to necessity. Work this up in a very thick dough, which kind of roll over with a rolling pin, or just press them. And then you cut them and make them nice little squares from them. Put this on a nicely fatted pan and cook in um, a medium heat when they're lightly brown. Serve them covered with some sugar or add some marmalade on top of them. Yeah, I think this might be an interesting thing because it reminds me of knödel because there are some dishes from potatoes that are sweet, but still, it's a bit crazy and uh, and yeah. But now we get to the last part of this and this is... um, This is a cookbook, as I've been telling you, but the last part also kind of stunned me. The last part is about how to make soap. Because you can make soap on your own, but it was a largely deficit product during wartime, and uh, the last section of the cookbook is about how to make soap without the soapstone. During wartime, when the factory produced soap in the first order are requisited by the necessities of the army, the civilians must try as much as possible according to hygiene and health without harming these things to try with the rationing of the soap or have to take care with the self-made products that can be created in a reasonable household kitchen. The most easiest way of producing soap is in the countryside households where the necessary fat for producing soap is the most easily required. The only thing that really hurts uh, in this case is the fact that you lack the soapstone or the soap herbs 
or the soap salts as they are known in the folk language. However, by being clever about this, you can overcome this, this obstacle. And here are the following examples of how to make soap. So, I'm going to give you one, one of these five examples. And this is going to be a bit, bit interesting, because this is called the meat soap. A fallen animal can be salted if you can't really produce soap instantly. When you have the chance to do it, take one kilo and 600 grams of uh, various burnt ashes, I presume. I'm going to check this one out. It's uh, basically four pounds of this burnt sodium stuff. Two kilos and 800 grams of soda, which is eight pounds of soda, and mix it in 15 liters, which is about four gallons uh, of water, and boil it for one hour and 20 minutes, and then just pour it in some, some sort of a container. In the next day, you very carefully remove the clear liquid so that it would be without the burnt uh, sodium stuff and boil two kilos with meat and bones with it for seven and eight hours and then add seven liters, basically the remaining burnt ash water, burnt sodium water. After adding a handful of salt, you have to boil the soap 45 minutes more and then basically pot it in your forms and let them cool off. Yeah, basically this includes advice on how to make soap from roadkill or other sick animals which you sadly can't use for various meals. And this is kind of it. Yeah, it was an interesting book and uh, quite a bizarre episode for me to make. I'm gonna try to find something from this book and make it on my own here and post it on YouTube, but hey... This kind of reveals that people really had to make do, and, you know, when you read about the horrors of war in various history books, when you read that people were starving and their food quality wasn't really that great, it's really hard to understand how bad was it, and what made these people really push through, and what they had to endure, if you don't really read such recipe books. It reveals a lot, because, you know, later in life my grandmother used to basically collect all sorts of stuff that I didn't know was necessary, because she... For example, collected all these various salads in these little plastic boxes, and she would collect all those plastic boxes, and the boxes you buy butter, and she would just keep them, a lot of them, just in some cupboard or something, because she was always paranoid, what if the war comes again? When you read such books, and you understand that these people had to make do with, with what little they had, and the resources were extremely limited. And if you have to spend a lot of years... Basically, in Latvia, it was like five years from 1940 to 1945. By living like this and using this little brochure as your handbook on how to survive, then yeah, that can, that can truly damage your psyche and they might seem funny. And they are sometimes, and they are right now, we're just like, whoa, how did people eat that? Well, they didn't eat that because they were very wealthy and they had other choice. They had to make do and they had to make tasty dishes that wouldn't be seen as bland or awful by their standards. But it really is a bit revealing that your occupying force that went down with a propaganda machine stating that how much better than Soviets they were print out something like this, because everything went to the army. And this book was preserved because it became very useful also in the late 80s, early 90s, where when uh, the free market economy came in and crashed every market and everything, and people were really starving and poor, this is the harsh part, which... It's kind of the punchline, because what I'm reading to you right now, all this book, it's not the original one printed in 1942. It's a reprint from 1991, when this book was printed to help the working poor of the Soviet Union, of the Soviet Latvia, to endure 
through the movement from socialism to capitalism. This book is a reprint. And all these foods that I mentioned to you, people really required such cookbooks. They required such things, most of the people. Because when the market collapsed, when you couldn't get anything in the markets, people desperately purchased these books and they had to survive. They had to pickle everything. Imagine that. You get capitalism, and then in 1991, people get a reprint of a cookbook from 1942, printed in 1991 by Vaga in Latvia, supported by, this is by the way printed by using American funds, no less, in a government-sponsored thing, so that some people could live through the perestroika, and they had to live on a wartime cookbook. Then, obviously, as you can imagine, the scars that has left remains. I wanted to leave this twist to the end, just to make you think a bit, and before you laugh at poor Eastern Europeans and what we go through now, we've survived on such things. And this is, this is sad. But that truly represents both the tragedy of the war and the sometimes societal collapses and revolutions can be just as harmful. Think about it, comrades. Until next time. Happiness is mandatory, and do svidanya, tovarish. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.